There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. The sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence,
Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrim's Progress. Today is part two in a series from Dr. Edward Miller from the Argentine Revival. The title is called Principles of Revival. God bless you as you listen. One young woman, little widow woman, had a precious gift of prophecy. She got bitter because God took her husband just before her son was born. And in that bitterness, the wall of protection came down. She didn't get headaches got worse, worse. Finally, they did not believe in doctors, mind you. God was her healer. He always had been, always would be. But she finally went to a doctor. Terribly painful. They found a tumor in the medulla, impossible to operate. Growing. She lived six months at the maximum. For the pain, they gave her heroin. There's no hope anyway. She'd be in comas for sometimes days at a time. When she'd come out, they had to keep her room totally blackened because a ray of light into her eye would give her screaming pains. But she didn't die in six months. They prayed, they fasted, these people that believed in God. God didn't touch her. But she didn't die either. It went on for six years, terrible long years. Her son could only nor his mother by touching her feet sometimes. He was always very intrigued with people's feet. The only way he knew his mother. And then one day the doctor came and she was in coma and she just came out and heard the doctor say to the folks in the home there, look, I'm leaving. I'm moving my practice to Sacramento. This was in Pasadena, California. He said, I've sought everywhere, and there's no doctor will take over this patient because of the amount of heroin she's receiving. But her body's been so adjusted that a horse would die with the amount I've given her. And he said, no doctor will take her. You'll have to send her to a government institution where they can handle that type of drugs. She heard it. She turned her face to the wall. She said, God, I've fought for life but I'm not going to fight any longer. Don't send me to institution. I believed in you. I've borne the pain, but I can't go any longer. Don't send me to an institution. While she was crying out, her radio began to play. She knew she hadn't turned it on. So the loveliest voice came over and said, Hello there. I have a message to you from God. To you that says there's no hope. To you that says that you want to die. To you that have turned your face to the wall. And have said, God, take me home. I have a message for you. Listen. So the choir began to sing. Breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter. Jesus breaks every fetter. And he sets me free. They sang it once, and she was up. Screamed out for her folks to come and bring her clothes. It healed her. She was out hiking the mountains a week later. 
The drugs were gone. About three weeks later, he took the drugs away. She was through. To this day, she's still alive. Talked to her doctor. He came to see her. He couldn't believe it. Impossible to believe. She went to Angela's temple. Gave her testimony. Much longer than I've given. I've given all the essence of it. How God in those years and so on. But when she got through, six or eight people came to her and said, but how could God operate in your brain where nobody could go and how to get in there and how to get out and not leave any scars? They just couldn't figure it out. Where'd that thing go to? Where'd it come out? It just was gone. And because different people came, six or eight people that one night, when she went home, she was intrigued also. And in prayer, she said, Lord, how could you take that out of my head and not leave any scars? No place you did it. And the Lord spoke to her. He said, no scars? Oh, yes, they're scars. But they're not in your head. They're in my hand. Once more, they're in there. It's gone. And then <clears throat> God called her to the mission field. Called me in a very strange way. He said, I've been praying for it. I asked God. I knew I couldn't go without an order. You don't do anything for God without him telling you what to do. Or else you're just on your own. Go ahead, do your thing if you want to. But it's obedience to Jesus Christ. And I knew I couldn't go unless he told me. And I sought it for six months. And finally he told me, he said, all right. It was prophetically he spoke to me. Not through me, through another. But very directed to me. All right, the call is given. He said, but you won't go. Oh, no, he said, peradventure you won't go, but because I won't call you. Uh -huh. I cried out. I said, God, prove me. Prove me. I will go. You'll see that I will. And again, the prophetic word rolled forth. All right, go then. The place is chosen. The call is given. The work has been all prepared. Go. I was on my way. Fired off letters to headquarters. By then, Assemblies of God existed, another Pentecostal organization. I sent letters then, and letters came back, do this, do this, and I was, we went through that for about six months. Finally, everything was fulfilled that I had to do. And they sent one more letter. Well, we're just, this is war times, 1944. We're just not sending missionaries now, period. So I went back, took up another pastorate. My third. Well, there. One day I was in prayer. And the Spirit of God came. You know what he said? I told you you wouldn't go. I told you. I said, God, look. Look what I've done. I've done everything I know to do. They won't send me. And I was really quite agitated by then. And, and I knocked my Bible off the chair. And I picked it up. It fell open to Jeremiah 17. Cursed is a man that leaneth upon the arm of flesh. Blessed the man whose hope the Lord is. I said, all right, God, I'm on my way. We had $25. I resigned my pastorate. We had the rent paid till the end of the month, and we were out. The only person I knew that might open some doors for me, because I knew nothing about anything, was a man in California, a radio broadcast, an independent Pentecostal man, and a friend of ours. I went down to California, took the last money, bought a ticket there and back. Didn't have money to, for a car fare in Los Angeles, but you can walk. Doesn't hurt you. I saw this man. He said, I'm sorry. 
with the war. I've lost my contacts. We can't travel anymore. Can't help you. So I walked over the streets of Los Angeles, recognizing that here was one big fool, about the biggest fool in all of Los Angeles, or perhaps the whole United States. No fam, no, no money, no job, no place to go. Stuck. To waste time till my ticket was due the next day, I went to see a friend. While there, the son-in-law of this man came to see me. Looked for me, he said, knocked on the door, and they asked if I would. The lady of the house said, yes. I said, hi, Gaylord, how are you? He said, man, I've been looking all over Los Angeles for you. What for? Well, he said, you know you talked to my father-in-law about going to Mission Field. I said, yeah. He said, well, he, he told that to his organist. And his organist just had a dream the night before. And in that dream, a man came by going to Mission Field. And God pointed him out and said, and you are the one that's going to help that man. He said, that must be the man. They'll help him. Hand me a check for $200. We're on our way. And from that day to this, that's the way God's done it. So I went to the mission field and found something that I, I had learned when I first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I found the truth of it. I kept postponing facing the reality of it. And that was that something was missing in my baptism. I first discovered it when... Our pastor, in my teenage years, preached a sermon one morning on the exercising of faith, how we needed to exercise it. Now, I had just been filled with the Holy Spirit perhaps a month before, and in that fulfilling with my spirit, he had brought, in, he had brought perhaps a dozen others in the church into that same experience. We were the first. And uh, I thought, that's a great idea. I've got to exercise my faith. After all, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I've got the power that the, evangel- uh, that the, gospel, that the apostles had. I'd better start using some of it. On the way home from church out to the farm where I lived, I thought, well, how am I going to exercise it? And I thought about moving mountains. But there weren't any mountains where I was. But there were a lot of little oak trees. I thought, well, I'll practice on an oak tree. So that noon, I went out in the barn. I got down. I sought the Lord till I was charged up, and I was speaking in tongues. Then I marched right out towards that little oak tree. And I'll never forget it, talking in tongues as fast as I could. And I stood in front of it, and I commanded it in the name of Jesus to move. And I expected it to, too. And it didn't. And I tell you, that amazed me. I knew miracle. I, I knew God was a God of miracle. I didn't expect that thing there. It wasn't because I wasn't believing, and I was, I was absolutely flabbergasted. It didn't go. It should have. Oh, what in the world's wrong? Oh, that was a puzzling to me. That disturbed my spirit. God, am I, it's a sin in my life. I examined my life because we knew that, well, I had learned before this. Let me digress a little, something I picked up. Forgot to tell you. But I, I learned that you have to walk in that presence. And I learned he'd go very easily. I, I used to work with animals, and they're very frustrating and very annoying sometimes, sometimes deliberately. And <clears throat> I'd lose my temper with them. And I didn't have the cleanest mouth either. And right there, I'd repent. 
Because as soon as I would, that something, that essence, that presence was gone. And, and, and I wanted to walk with him. He was gone. Right there in the clouds. I don't care where it was. I didn't wait. Maybe a dozen times a day. But right there, I was on my face with tears. God, forgive me. Forgive me. And he would. That something would come back. And I'd go on to the next time. Now that, well, if I spoiled it, if I'd done something I haven't known about, I repented, I did everything I knew, I charged up, but couldn't figure it out. And I had forgotten the scripture that says about, if you speak to the sycamine tree, and so I thought in my mind, well, it's because it was a tree instead of a mountain. I should have worked on a mountain. One day I was out <clears throat> plowing, and a big storm, it was a cold day, and a rain cloud moved in. And I was already cold, and I didn't want to have to be soaked also. Because you didn't think of quitting, going to refuge. I mean, in those days, you just tough through it. And I didn't want to get all soaked, cold already. Aha, uh-huh, I thought. Elijah, he commanded the rains. Now that was legitimate. And so again, while that thing was coming, I began to charge my batteries. And I cried out to God and I prayed. I got to going in tongues as fast as I could. And finally, I looked up in that cloud in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you, cloud, to hold thy waters. But they didn't. (laughs) They soaked me. (laughs) And I discovered something. I didn't have any faith. I didn't know how I even got saved. I didn't know how I got filled with spirit, but I knew one thing. I didn't have any faith. Something was terribly wrong. And I kept postponing the crisis of it. I went out in the ministry, and I had a nice little Baptist ministry. Well, excuse me, a little Pentecostal ministry. Because we did talk about the Baptist. But that essence, that thing that I knew about wasn't there. And I knew the faith wasn't there for it. Somehow, and I didn't know how, something was wrong. I remember a person came in, the, a crippled person came in the church, and, and I felt so bad, and I thought, I've got the baptism of the Spirit, I should be able to heal this person. Of course, I was just in. But I wasn't going to lay hands on him, because I'd learned about the cloud and the tree, and the tree I didn't have much to work with. But I thought, well, maybe. So I slipped my hand over the back of the bench and just gently touched him so he wouldn't know I was. Commanded him to rise and walk, but he didn't. So I knew I was a hopeless case. And I thought, well, nothing happened in that city, but you see, that city had already had revival, and so it was burned over territory. And I went to another pastorate, and that was burned over territory too. But if I ever get to a mission field, if I ever get to a place where God has never moved, then I'll see God move. Well, God got me to that place. But God had never moved. He wasn't moving there either. And I didn't have anything. Something was wrong. Finally, he got us to Argentina. And I had to face the reality of it. We'd gone through a lot of training. We'd gone through a lot of putting up with things God put us through without going into it. And we were in a place where God had never moved. And I made one more try. We got a big tent. We put sawdust on the floor. We had canned music. We held a campaign with, uh, with another missionary. We were going to see God move. We fasted and prayed. We sought God. We held our campaign. 
for 10 days and not one person ever came out. Not even a child to see what was a circus. Nothing. And in a town that had never had the gospel preached in it, and it was deader than any other place I'd ever been. And then came the crunch. Where is God? Where is he? I wrote home and said, I'm not going to spend my life here like some of these other missionaries had. They've been Some had been there 50 years. And in 50 years of missionary work and, past, and, and little native pastor works, in 50 years they had less than 500 members all over that whole land of Argentina. Some had had a, some had had a, a service where they'd been there, and they didn't have one convert a year. And the church I was in was eight people and been there seven years. I said, God, I'm not staying here and spend my life for eight people. Not going to do it. And I just meant to go home, quit the ministry, and go to work. But I'm not going to waste my time. If I'm mistaken, I'm mistaken. I don't have any faith, and I know I don't have any faith. And shortly after this, my wife went down with asthma. Bad. Doctor, you're going to have to leave this place. Can't leave. Can't stay here. And one night she woke me so choked up she could hardly breathe. She'd go out and walk in the plaza, but not even that helped her. She said, honey, pray for me. Didn't want to. Because I knew my prayers weren't worth her thinker's damn. I knew I had no faith. Knew that. But because I loved her, I said, God, you know I don't have any faith. You know I'm not coming on faith. I know it says without faith it's impossible to please God, but I'm not coming on faith. I don't have any. You know that. We're not going to fool each other. But God, would you please, just by mercy, without faith, could you bypass faith and just by mercy touch my wife? He did that quick. That day to this. So what's wrong? Something's, something's not right. And I, I tell him I haven't any faith, and he does it. And when I tried my best to use faith, nothing worked. I still couldn't put it together. A while later, my little girl was sick. I thought, well, if it worked once, it might work again. I came the same way. God, without faith, forget faith. Please, just overlook it. By mercy, just touch my little girl. He did. Then I had to put things together. Making a long story short, I discovered that coming on mercy is faith. That's what faith is. You're trusting him. Not some scripture, not some power, not some experience. You're just trusting that he's a merciful God. He's a comforter. He wants to help. And it worked. So I'm going home. I'm quitting the ministry. I wrote my sister. I've done everything I know to do. That doesn't work. Where that God Pentecost went, that God of my father went, where that God of Dr. Price, Amy McPherson, all those, I don't know. But he's not here. I've done everything. And when I said that, uh, in my mind I'd go to that time after time, I've done everything. And a little voice would say, everything you know, I had preached. You know, we do preach sometimes things we think are true, but never proved out. And I had preached 
in the great knowledge of my youth. But if a man wanted revival, all he had to do was fast and pray for seven days, and he'd see God move. Now, people said that was a good sermon. I thought it was. But it wasn't for practice, at least not for me. Because I didn't, I had a hard time with much prayer on my own after I grew up and after I was, this is after revivals at Quint. The ebb tide, God's moving. I remember one time we had a, they ever have a prayer chain, your church? We had a prayer chain. I took between 10 and 11. I was uh, about 16 then. And I got in and I prayed for my pastor, God bless him, and his wife and his children. He had nine of them. And, and for the deacon and, and both of them. And, and the three missionaries I knew, and 20 minutes went by. I started out again. The pastor and his wife and the deacons and the missionaries, and another 20 minutes. I said, God, if you haven't heard it twice, there's no use saying it three times, so I quit. <laughs> there was a 20 minutes break. I discovered I couldn't pray an hour. I didn't know what to say. So, <clears throat> God, I've done everything. You're not here, I'm quitting. Everything. And I don't know God ever listened to sermons, but he must have. Because he quoted me back. If a man wants to see revival, all he's got to do is fast and pray for seven days, and he'll see God move. Everything. And every time I'd come to that, was no use in my, in my wrestling with a the situation. There's no use. I hated to quit, but I wasn't going to waste my life there. I've done everything. Everything. If a man will fast to pray for seven days, he'll see revival. That went over and over and over. I got so sick of it. I wish to God I'd never said it. Finally, I said, all right. All right, God, I hear you. I'll fast and pray for seven days, and then I'm going home. Well, I got everything ready. I went to the lattic room over the church. I said, God, how long do I have to pray? He said, eight hours. No, he said, if a man can work for his living for eight hours, you can pray for eight hours. I said, God, eight hours? You know how long that is? One hour was too long. He said, eight hours. And that meant by the clock. That was rough. So I took my Bible, and I began to pray best I knew how. Time drug on. I sought God every place. I sought him on the chair. He wasn't there. I sought him on the walls. He wasn't there. I sought him on the floor. He wasn't there. He wasn't any place. Six days went by. And on the sixth day, the Spirit came. Very precious, very gracious, just for a few moments. And he said, what are you doing? Oh, Lord, I'm fasting and praying for revival. I really told him what I was doing. When I got all through, you know what he said? He said, well, son, the coin of heaven is not an empty stomach, the blood of Jesus. I wish he said it the first day. I did have visions during that time, but not things of God. It was a good beef and potatoes, and bread of ice cream, and things like that, a lot of visions. But God had locked, but something happened. I knew that if I walked out of that place, having not met God, I'd become an atheist. And there is no God, really. What had happened, I didn't know how, why, at least not for me. He was unreachable. I knew I dared not. I had to find that God. He was there, but where I didn't know. 
but I dare not leave. I dare not. Someplace there was a God, because I'd seen him work. There was too much reality. There was too much growing up in it. I'd seen him move over and over. I saw him come to the, to the Bible school. When I was there, one year he came. And oh, what? I mean, there again was a pattern. There was prayer. There were all day services and half the night, many of them all night. God was there. Spoke to us. Dealt with us. You should have heard the confessions. Even the cookies that disappeared in the kitchen came out that day. I was working as a chauffeur. And no, not that place. I was working as a cook. And this very wealthy family gave me a car to drive. All I had to do was pay for the gas. It's so easy to disconnect a speedometer. And I didn't have any gas to pay for. So I'd go out driving here and driving there and disconnect the speedometer for 30, 40, 50 miles and then connect it up to the last. Put four or five miles on it. That's all I had to pay for. Hmm. And God moved. I had to go talk with that man. God doesn't pass by things. You just think he does. He doesn't pass by things. I had to go talk with that man, tell him all about it, and pay for it. And pass the shame of being such a dishonest fool. I found long ago that God doesn't pass by things. You've got to keep us clean slate. It's obedience to Jesus Christ. That obedience might be eating some good humble pie. I found it more than once. That's just one time. My wife was in the same mood. She was a waitress in a restaurant. I'll tell on her. They gave them things to eat, but uh, the ice cream was prohibited, but very available. She had to go talk with her employer, make things right. That's obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what revival is. When we realize we've got to obey what he tells us to do, and that's that. So we stayed on this little room where I realized that God had, as it were, picked me up on a blind side, and it wasn't going to be a seven days, and I didn't know how long it was going to be. But I did know I could not come out because... You can always postpone things. Well, someday I'm going to do something, you know, and you've always got to. When that day comes, then you've got to to meet realities. You've got to come to decisiveness and know, well, it is or it isn't. So I knew I couldn't leave. And I knew I was on an eight-hour a day. And the more I was there, the more I realized I didn't know how to find God. In fact... Today I realize you'd never find God. No one can. But while you're looking, he will find you. That's where it all is. He says, seek ye my face. But you see, first place, God isn't lost. We are. And we're so lost, we don't know the way back. He knows that. But if the heart is desiring enough, he said, you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And when you, you know that you have to, you, you only have one life, and if you lose it, you lose it. It's gone. Paul speaks to those. He says, they'll be saved, but so is by fire. Everything's burned up. All you do is lost. done for the flesh. It's all done for, for the temporals. It's all done for, for people. 
and it's it's gone. So that when you come to that place, your whole heart, you have to find him. Then he is findable, but only because he finds you. One of the very interesting illustrations that uh, has come to me is one of our missionaries in Argentina was a, a tall, slim man, well over six feet, perhaps six, three or four. And he was down in the center of Buenos Aires at a street that is only walked on. The finest shops are there. It's the, it's the street of Buenos Aires and of the Argentine people, which is called Florida, or Florida as we would say. Packed with people. And he was there with his little three or four-year-old daughter, and while they were standing looking at some display, she got lost in that forest of legs and couldn't find her father. She panicked immediately and began to scream and run around, Daddy, 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 where are you? Daddy, Daddy. Now he up there was watching every move she made. But he called to her, but she was making such a racket she couldn't hear him. And she was running around desperately. So finally he stepped to anticipate where she's going, stepped right in front of her, and she went smack against his legs. Looked up, Daddy, I found you. That's about the way we find God. And so it was locked in. I was seeking God at first, and during this time, my seekings changed as God dealt with motives and showed me my desires weren't really his desires, they were mine. I wanted to see God come down. I wanted to see miracles. I wanted to see power, because I still didn't know that they were only a means to an end, but they were not an end. And as I was doing so, first God spoke begin to show me that my motives were not really for his glory, but for me. Oh, I would have never told you that. I wouldn't even have believed it if you'd told me. But the Holy Spirit has a way of talking where you can believe a little better than what we can hear from other people. And I saw that down inside, you see, we all lust for power. That's why we want more powerful cars and more powerful airplanes and go faster and harder and because we're so weak and vulnerable, we want that super thing that puts us above the naturals. And then after he showed me that, I remember he spoke so clearly one day that he did not want me in that ministry. He wanted me in something else. Things went on, and I was seeking God, I was seeking God, I had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I could speak in tongues. But let me digress a moment to let you see that experience taught me doctrine rather than doctrine teaching me experience. I realized that the true, full baptism of the Holy Spirit is a three-level experience. You'll find it all in Acts 2. They were all filled with the Spirit, and the word fill means infill. It means brought under control of, actually. Oreo in Greek. And they all spoke in tongues, 
And they all had the fire upon them. Is that right? Three different experiences. That there is, Jesus said in 1.8, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power, tsunamis, after that the Holy Spirit come upon you. And the word power is a three-pronged word which includes in it, it's sometimes translated virtue. It includes in it origin and authority and energy. Peter demonstrated what I have, there's origin. I give, there's authority. Rise and walk, there was energy. Now you don't give the keys to your car to your six-year-old child, do you? I don't care how much you love him. I don't care how much he fasts and kicks his heels on the floor, you still won't, will you? When he's 18, isn't it? And so God reserves in his grace to us, giving us that which would destroy us, the realms and reigns of power. And so I found in Pentecost, and that was my problem, I received the tongues, I even received the infilling, it was glorious. I could even give a message of tongues. I could prophesy once in a while. But there is no authority, there is no origin, and very little energy. That's why the tree wouldn't move. In this time of seeking him, and not knowing really by then what I was seeking, but I knew some, somehow I was locked in, I had to meet God. And I didn't even know how. At that time, I didn't understand a lot of things I know now. And I was there ten weeks every day, eight hours a day. And one Wednesday morning, no, afternoon, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, without any preliminary or advance notice, God was there. And he was there. In a dimension I never knew God existed. And I was lifted up into a realm that I never knew was. And then eight hours was short. And it was 16 and 24 hours. And all I can wait to explain it is it's like you were caught into a river of gold and fire and just floating in it. Went on for hours. And there were six weeks of that. But they were the glory six weeks. There was no longer a, a drudgery, a fight, a battle. That was all gone. He was there. After six weeks, God spoke to me one day. He said, now I'm going to bless your church. By then I'd forgotten about revival. I'd forgotten. I didn't care whether he blessed my church or blessed the people. All I cared was he did what he wanted, and he got the glory. The rest was immaterial. He said, now I want to bless your church. He said, I want you to call them together every night and insist that they do not come unless they stay from 8 Till midnight. And I laughed and I said, God, you don't know these people. <laughs> I couldn't get them to come out any time except once on Sunday for an hour and a half. And I had tried many times to get those little eight people out and they never came. Now God tells me to tell them to come out starting Monday night, 8 o'clock, stay till 12 and come every night. I said, God, you don't know these people. They won't come. 
He said, you just tell him. So I told him. And three came. Man and his wife. And a young lady. About 16 years of age. I explained to them they had never seen God move. They had never... They'd never been filled with the Spirit. They'd never knew there was a Spirit. They never knew nothing. It was Pentecostal church because the word Pentecost was written over the front of it when they built it. Otherwise, you wouldn't know it. There was no, no one had ever spoken in tongue. No one had ever been filled with the Spirit, even in the most minor way, not even the first experience, let alone all three of them. And I realized by then that what God had done was that third portion. It was always missing. So I explained to them. I said, now we're going to pray. But I said, one thing's important. You must obey what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. See, that's what revival is, obedience to Jesus Christ. I said, whatever it is, it makes no difference. What it is, you must do what he tells you to do. Not what you dream up. What the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Well, they ducked down in front of their chairs, and silence reigned. Four hours of silence, and that's a long time. Try it if you don't believe it. I don't know where they slept. I know they dreamed, fancified. I don't know what they did. At the stroke of midnight, because that was what God told me to do, I said, all right, sit up. I said, well, has God spoken to you tonight? No. Not anything? No. I couldn't believe that. Because this was under God's order. Now God was going to do something. So I went one by one. I said, Felix, in all these four hours, hasn't God given anything to you? No. The young lady, Lydia, hasn't God given anything to you? No. I insisted. No. I went to his wife. Isabel? Hasn't God given any instruction to you? Well, no, not really. And that hesitation I locked on to. Well, it must be something. What was it? Oh, no, no, no. I insisted. She finally told me. She had the impression she should get up. In the center of the room was a little table and hit the table. Well, do it. No way. No way. It's silly. She didn't. I couldn't get her to do it. So back we came the next night. It was a repeat. Total silence for four hours. Twelve o'clock midnight, I called him. God hadn't said anything till I got to Isabel. Well, she still felt like hitting that table. Do it! No. And I get her to do it. So back the next night, again... Just silence. Drag and drag and drag till four hours drags by. We sat up. Isabel, do you still feel like hitting that table? Yes. Come on and do it right now. No. And she wouldn't. So we dismissed. The fourth night. Four hours. And then, Isabel, do you still feel like it? Yes. Come on, hit it right now. No. I said, all right. We're all going to stand up. We're going to march around that table. We'll all hit it. So we did. I hit it. My wife hit it. Isabel wouldn't hit it. We just walked around it. Singing a little chorus. Round, 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 round. 
finally she reached out and hit it. And when she did, heaven came. The wind from that corner to this went whoosh. And they were caught into the spirit immediately. All three were filled with spirit. And then everyone that came was filled with the spirit. Before we can get them baptized in water, God was doing his thing. Those eight people, within three or four weeks, were filled. The church was filled with people. And almost everyone had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Outside of a few holdouts, they eventually came in. But I noticed there was something else. There was an authority. You knew who was with you. And when he told you to do something, it worked. Then God sent churches. And again, the Holy Spirit came and visited church after church. Fifty years and 500 members. The next year, the only 2,500 were filled with the Spirit. And many churches were brought up into life. God began to move. The situation politically was impossible. It was absolutely impossible to have a street service. Any service, like a service like this, would have to have three months prior approval by the government to even have an extra service. It was very tight, very impossible. And... God moved in that area and moved all around. Wonderful things took place. He began to work miracles. I was out holding services someplace. My wife stayed home and kept the services going. And mind you, from now on, the services were reaching into 2 and 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning every night. People didn't mind coming now. It was different. The prayer services were long. The waiting in the presence of God, it was just... It was just glory. There was no pressure. You didn't have to stay. Go when you want to. But they didn't want to. They finally ended up coming at 6 because 8 was too late. As soon as they were through work, they came and stayed through. My wife was left alone for a little while. A young lad came, very ill, sick. Wanted to be prayed for. She didn't know what to do. So she said, well, I guess you anoint them with oil. So she went and got a bottle of cooking oil, poured it on him. God healed him immediately. <laughs> now the people I couldn't even come to church came to me and wanted to know, can't we go out and do something for the Lord? I couldn't get them to do anything. A track, that was impossible. Now they were asking, let us go. Fine, I said. Next Saturday we'll get together. Saturday we got together. Formed little teams. Half a dozen little teams or more. don't remember how many. Out they were. I'll never forget the first report. I should go back to give a basis for this. Before God met me, and I had been there about eight weeks, it came to me, I'm missing it. I can't just sit here for eight weeks. I've got to do something. Then ten weeks. I got more, and then God came. And then the weeks went by, and still nothing. God's come to me. I better do something. I said, all right, God, if you haven't moved in the people outside of myself, you haven't moved, by next Saturday, I'm going to get some tracks and I'm going out. I expected God to move, but he didn't. I expected every service now, God to move, but he didn't. We just had the regular services. I think uh, it was a Wednesday night and a Sunday, maybe I've forgotten. But God didn't do anything. I waited all week. I was sure he would. He didn't. 
So very disappointed in my spirit. I went and got some tracks. And I headed out towards the door, going out to house to house. And I was tearful. I was crying. I felt, God, you mean you're not going to move? We have to go back the old way. We'd done all that. We'd tracked into people. We'd gone street service, radio, everything you could do. We'd already done that. Back to that again. Heading out the door, I got halfway there and the doorbell rang. There was a minister from a nearby place. I spent the whole afternoon with him. My time was gone. I couldn't go out. I didn't let me. Now they're coming and asking me to go out. They went out. Two little teenage girls came back with a report. They'd met a couple doctors on the street. Begin to witness to them. They laughed at them, made fun of them. So they began to give their testimony, both on their knees, saying, pray for us, with tears in their eyes. He binds the broken hearted. He heals the wounded soul. The Father of all heaven, I give you full control to have your way in me, O oh Lord. Set my spirit free Jesus bring revival And start your work in me
Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. It's brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to His side. With love and strength for each new day, He will make a way. He will make a way.